welcome to episode four of series two of Just Another Football Podcast. Uh, my name is Danny Miller, and this week I am joined by the beautiful Joey Pollard and the also beautiful Josh Bentley. I hadn't thought of any introductions for this week, so I'm stuck with two beautifuls. How are we, boys? Are we good? Very good, thank you. You well? Looking beautiful yourself, as always. I am good. I am good. I've just got back from the gym, so I'm a bit sweaty. doesn't happen very often, but... Uh, as in, uh, going right, to the gym. Surprised you know what a gym looks like, mate. <laughs> yeah, Danny, just to add to that, thank you for calling me beautiful, but I'm going to go with that you're looking decidedly average as usual this evening. Oh, thank you. Well, if this is setting the tone for what today is going to look like, then I'm very, very excited. Um, hey, so <laughs> you've got a great, you've got a great personality. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they all very cuddly. They all say. <laughs> Um, so we're going to crack on with um, some of the big news of the week, or um, the the more the stuff off the pitch, really. Uh, and we're going to start um, with the David Moyes interview. So he was on the Diary of a CEO podcast this week with Stephen Bartlett. Now, I'm not particularly interested in the content of the interview, although uh, having listened to the interview it is interesting in parts. Um, particularly when he's talking about his time at Manchester United. What I want to talk about is the significance of the timing of the interview. Um, it seems strange for a Premier League manager to do such an in-depth interview about his career at this stage anyway. But Joe, we'll start with you. Um, I know you didn't know a lot about the interview to start with, but what do you think about in general about managers doing like long form interviews like this yeah um when you when you sent me the uh the the agenda yesterday and i did say to you i haven't had a chance to to look at it um i briefly <clears throat> read you know a little synopsis and, and delved into it a little bit um yeah i think i think you're right i think it's very interesting um the, the nature of it seemed almost a post-career uh interview you know, when you would look back and talk about all the things and especially his time at United and what's gone on. It was kind of a double whammy, wasn't it? Obviously, he's still very much an active Premier League manager. You know, he's done over a thousand games. He's he's, he's one of the well-established, well-respected managers. The second part of the, of the double whammy, that being that obviously the, the state that West Ham are in currently. Yeah, I think when he did the interview, they were 18th. Yeah, and it, I think they're in the relegation zone now, aren't they? Or, or maybe just out of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, like you said, in terms of the timing, it, it did seem interesting. It, it's one of those things that from a PR perspective, um, I'm sure that West Ham would have been aware that he was, was doing it. And I'm sure his personal agent would have 100% been aware that he was doing it. And you think that there would have just been that little PR um, switch on it to say, to, to Moyes or to Bartlett or the production company or whoever, just can we just hang fire on this just maybe a couple of months or maybe to the end of the season, just see where we stand and then by all means fire it out there. But yeah, it was from what I've read and from, from what you've told me and the little bit that I did see, it does seem a bit like warts and all for someone who's still very much active and unemployed by a Premier League club. Yeah. Josh, do you think it's the antics of a manager that knows he's kind of under pressure and that he's not... Uh, I wouldn't say he's a sure shoe in for getting us getting the sack, but like Joe says, they're down the bottom of the league. Do you think it's kind of the actions of someone pleading to not get sacks? Um, <clears throat> well, West Ham have like they've gotten rid of him once, haven't they? And then came back to him. So and he's done 
I would argue they overachieved. Was it last year or the year before with him in charge? Um, and like you said, he's he's a like proven Premier League manager. So to get rid of him. It's a difficult one, really. Like maybe this is his way of saying I'm thinking about coming to the end. Mm. But then also at the same time, it's like strange behaviour. It was interesting because in the interview, he spoke about, basically, he said he thought he was too young for the Manchester United job when he took it. Uh, He was told that he would have the job. He wasn't asked to interview or wasn't asked to take the job. He was told by Sir Alex, you know, you're the next Manchester United manager. I think over the course of three days, basically, he went from being Everton manager to then signing the contract. I think he was out of contract at Everton at the end of the season. And so um, there was no money for Manchester United to pay there. But I just found it interesting the way he spoke about his time at Man United in the interview. I, I, I recommend it for anyone that wants to go and listen, who listens to long form podcasts like that. It's really interesting. For me, listening to it, it was someone who might be kind of putting himself in the shop window a little bit for a job in the Premier League with, you know, maybe he might go back to Everton. I, I was thinking kind of kind of the opposite from like, just from what I've been hearing recently and, and just generally what I kind of see about West Ham and about Moyes. Like Josh said, you know, they, they have spent a couple of years what some deem as, as overachieving and obviously they got to the Europa League semi-final, didn't they? And they had a, a decent league finish. But... I know Lampard is, as expected, is I think he's odds against favourite to be to the next manager sacked, and then Moyes is after that. And in terms of the sackings, the bookies don't get things terribly wrong, but I, I don't know. I've just got this this feeling that that he's pretty safe in his job at West Ham. I don't think that they that they will sack him. Um, he's got money in the bank, to use a phrase. Um, West Ham have got a, got a good side, and. I think what's happened is I was, there was a, a, a when it was on nights um, this week at, at work. I was listening to the radio and they had a, a couple of West Ham fans phone in, and they said they were actually like really excited by the players that they signed in the summer. Um, but then they don't feel like they've quite fitted into the way that they are expected to play. Um, so I don't know. I think I think it's just my opinion, which is fairly worthless. But I think Moyes is probably fairly safe. Um, which means you should probably everyone should go and now lump on several hundred pounds. I've been in it, just sacked because that's what's likely to happen. <laughs> yeah, we've definitely got a track record for making terrible predictions on this podcast, um, even from yeah. a few years ago as well. Obviously, an ex club of David Moyes is Manchester United, and there was news this week that Jim Radcliffe, who is uh, Britain's richest man, was going to come in and buy the club from the Glazers. Another interesting addition to the Premier League ownership, Josh. Um, do you think that, uh, obviously, over the last few years, Man United have had quite a few troubles on the pitch. We haven't spoken a lot about the ownership of Man United in the past, but what do you think? Do you think that that is going to help Man United on the pitch, a change of ownership? Um so almost my entire life of following football, this has just been bubbling away in the background, like the ownership of Man United. Because, you know, arguably the most brandable club on the planet. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, certainly in the Definitely. top three. Um, the, I would say know, the, uh, of British clubs, it is number one. 
and Real Madrid and Barcelona they, are if at the same level, if not just above. They've never really had to worry about, um, you know, financial competition. Certainly through the noughties, they were the standard. You, I think Joey said last week, teams used to go to Old Trafford and didn't expect to even get a point. You know, it was, you know, United at home, victory. You know, then you've had the rise of the super clubs to give them a, a name, your Man Cities, your Chelsea's. Yep. We can put Newcastle in there as well, if you like. So, yeah, you, you know, new owner. I can't ever really remember United going on a splurging spree in one transfer window. And with a new owner, you know, what's to stop them going and getting five players in one window, which arguably could take them back to the Premier League title? We'll start with Saturday's game against Manchester City. We're going to talk about very questionable VAR decisions, um, but we're going to start here at Old Trafford. I think in the... How many years have we had VAR now? Four years? Something like that? Four or five, yeah. I think this is the worst VAR decision of all of them. Bold statement. The weird thing was that when when it happened, I was chatting to a mate of mine who was a United fan, and he was he asked me what I thought, and I said, and I, I, I'm still struggling with this. I said I can see why the goal was allowed. That was my initial thought because obviously, you know, Rashford didn't touch the ball. I said he probably should have made a bit more of an effort to be like, I'm nothing to do with this move. But then watching it back and you're just like, you know, pardon my language, but you're just like, how the fuck did that goal stand? And similar to the, to the Salah one, which we spoke about a couple of times against Wolves, point one about that goal Casemiro's pass was for Rashford. Yeah. So I think that's the first significant thing you've got to take into account. He was passing the ball to a player who was clearly offside. Then Rashford makes no effort to, you know, you know, the, the, when way before VAR, when you two lads were, you know, young and handsome and I was middle-aged and handsome, <laughs> when they changed the offside rule to have that not interfering with play element of it, and you saw the classic when a ball was played and the striker would put his hands up in the air and he'd turn round and he'd walk in the wrong direction and he'd, he'd make it very obvious, I'm not part of this play. Rashford didn't do any of that. He, he chased the ball. He did. And he chased it down and he stayed within a few yards of it. Whether a kanji would have caught A few yards? He knows? was centimetres away from it. He was in front of Akanji, who was then blocking it. And the best example that I saw of it, and I'm sure that hopefully many of our listeners have seen it, and hopefully you two have seen it, the picture from behind the goal with Rashford removed from yeah. the picture, which shows Akanji probably no more than a yard and a half away from the ball. Edison looking in that direction where Fernandez will only be in his periphery, and it just says, look, with Rashford removed from this situation, the three other players, the, the three Man City defenders, are in completely different positions. And I was listening to, to the aftermath of, of 
the radio commentary after that and the, the presenter said he believes that the VAR official is probably the only person who thought that goal should be allowed. They talked about Darren Cam, who was the linesman. He is the best linesman in the world. That's fairly well established. And he put his flag up. Now, the way they're taught now, obviously, is like, don't put your flag up and, you know, unless then we'll look back. He puts his flag up. He's like, oh, he's significantly offside. He's, he's done. And then VAR just to go, well, he didn't touch it. He didn't do that. Yeah, goal. It's just absolutely bonkers, mate. I, I don't understand how you can look at that goal and say that Rashford isn't interfering with play. I don't, I, yeah. any still image or whatever after the fact is, you know, is just supporting evidence. But I just don't understand. I thought Rashford actually touched the ball at the end. There was a camera angle that I think I saw, but, you know, I only I had it on my phone, I think, on, on Saturday. So I I couldn't see it probably. I thought he touched the ball personally, but oh, it's such a it's such a strange decision in such a huge huge game. Yeah, it's the interpretation of it again, isn't it? And like you know, you can not bend rules, but with a lot of stuff, you can shape it to what you want the decision to be, isn't it? So it's like, and the fact that he didn't touch the ball apparently is is the main one. Which any footballing. Uh, fan anyone who's played football can understand if he's like if he's not touched the ball then technically he's not done he's not broken that part of that that law but to say he's not interfering yeah it's just absolutely like bonkers I mean I quite enjoyed that the goal stood at the time because of the intelligence of the run from Rashford if you see what see what I'm coming at but at the same time but everything you've said is bouncing around my head. And, I've, you know, I've watched it back time and time and time again. It's just like, isn't this what, you know, VAR should be looking at it once and going, no goal. Or, yeah. or, or do you think the officials sat in Stockley Park and now just overthinking everything? Yeah, I think there's part of that. I'm, I mean, it was. <laughs> I kind of wish Chris was, Chris was here because um, I think I feel like we could copy and paste the corruption part of what he was talking about into this week's podcast as well. For me, I look at that and I say, well, what's stopping a player from just hanging and then protecting the ball? Like the ball goes through and somebody just runs behind it and another player comes from a position to like um, dummy the defenders on who's going to take it. And it sets a precedent and... I just think that that is so such a such a poor decision, such a poor decision. But Marcus Rashford um, was the first Manchester United player. He scored the second goal to score in seven consecutive appearances in all competitions since who? On this story, no nope. United player or in yeah, general? Man United player. Yeah, Man United player. Teddy Sheringham. It's not. It's more recent than that. April two thousand eight. Cristiano Ronaldo, of course. So we talked about dodgy VAR decisions. We're going to carry on talking about dodgy VAR decisions before we talk about the North London derby. The first one was the Brentford penalty. Right decision? No, foul foul by Tony. Foul by Tony? Quite an obvious one as well. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I'm in complete agreement. Again, you've got to admire like 
how clever Tony is to win that. Yeah, I agree. With, I do agree with that. It was it was a good bit of new, nouveau wave footballing intelligence to win it. But he, he was he was all over the defender and then yeah. just worked it to his advantage and went down. And again, the letter of the law is yep, yeah, okay. Let's make that a penalty. I can't remember who the defender was, but just like the complete look of bemusement on his face when the decision yeah. was given. Yeah. Another look of bemusement was at uh, St James's Park where Kieran Trippier gave away a penalty for Newcastle against Fulham. Was that the correct decision? There was kind of two in the same move, uh, two potential penalty decisions, the Dan Byrne one to start with. Uh, I'm going to have to come clean, mate. I haven't seen these ones, so oh, I'm going to go with... Uh, yeah, I apologise. Uh, yeah, Dan- correct decision. Dan Byrne, no, um, but the Trippier foul, was it on Dekodova Reed, I think, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought it was a penalty, mate, and then watching it back, I, I still think it was a penalty. I thought it was an interesting one because um, on much of the day, they said the other way around. So they said the Burn one was, and then the Trippier one wasn't. I thought the Burn one would have been harsh, but you've seen them given. It's one of those where it goes to VAR and it's not overturned. And then he didn't give the trippier one in real time, but then he went over to the screen and he watched this. What annoyed me, right? He watched one angle of the trippier one, one angle where, yeah, it looks like trippier fouled him. And at the time I was, I was saying so stupid by trippier. He's it's clumsy. It's clumsy. And then when you watch the angle from behind, you see that Deckard Overeed actually stands on Trippier's foot. So for me, initially I thought it was a penalty, but then it's not. But when they've showed that second angle, the referee's already turned away, hasn't seen it. He's already turned away from the monitor. I don't think it's enough to overturn it, Joe. I don't think it's enough to overturn it. I thought the the same about that. And then... I think just as a very quick sideline, they've announced today, haven't they? That I think is in the World Club Championship where the refs are going to be mic'd up and they're going to explain yeah. the VAR decisions. Yeah. Can't wait. So what I think happened in, in that one with the Trippier one, this is only me and my little theory. I think that VAR probably told him that it was a penalty, uh, that it was a foul, but they said, go and have a look to see where you think it is. Okay. It's that close. So, you know, the line belongs to the attacker, doesn't it? So, like we just talked about with the, with that one with Rashford and Josh said, you don't really know what's going on in Stockley Park anymore in terms of application of, of the law and how to do it. And I don't know. I, yeah, I thought it was... I, I did think it was a foul and watching it back, I think it was a foul as well. But open to interpretation, which I think a lot of the VAR things revert to the wording of clear and obvious error don't they yeah now it's things about and that makes the rashford one even more bizarre because they didn't miss they didn't miss it the the linesman gave it offside and then it was like oh no he's not interfering the trippier one there was a foul and the referee has missed it, so therefore that becomes then a clear and obvious error but what Um, i'm saying is it it, I, i don't think it's a foul I thought initially yeah. it was, but I, 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 and I also don't think that it's enough to overturn it from what we've seen in the past. I don't, I don't think it's enough to overturn that decision. We've had this discussion before on VAR, and like one of the things that we've got is the fact that 
there is still that degree of subjectivity. Mm-hmm. And again, ridiculously, talking about this when when that goal by Fernandez stood, the only one where you've got categorically is offside. A player is either offside or he's not. And you go, you get the classic old fella in the pub who says, oh, what was it? Was his toenail offside or his eyelash was offside or whatever? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if his dick's offside or his whole body's offside. He's offside. Whereas where the fouls are concerned, obviously that's still got a huge degree of subjectivity to it. And you and, it, you and I are sitting here as both as, as fans of football and fans of different teams or whatever, and I know one's your team, but we've seen the same incident and we're both interpreting it in a completely different manner. And that's, like, again, one of the major downfalls of VAR, that, like, apart from offsides, there's no definitive thing to say, yes, that is a foul, yes, it's not. Yes, that is handball, he didn't move his arm, he did move his arm, you know, is, is it unnatural? It's not unnatural. And apart from, yeah, offside, where it's like you can draw lines and whatever, there's still that great, huge degree of interpretation as to whether someone has made an error or not. Um, and that's never going to go away. So we'd have to learn to kind of make that part of the game, as we used to talk about refereeing mistakes being part of the game. Or we say, you know what, get rid of our altogether, apart from offsides, where it is definitive. Yeah, inter- really interesting. One place where there wasn't any sort of controversy or VAR decision or any any issues was at the London Stadium on Sunday. Arsenal completed their first league double over Spurs in nine years. They did the same in 2014 when Mikel Arteta was actually captain of the team. They won 1-0 courtesy of a goal from who that day? Can you remember? What year was it? 2014. Ooh. Arsenal beating Tottenham for to complete the double over them in one season. Yeah, so there were, this is the one nil win at the at the Emirates, and then there's the um, what there was a one nil win over them at White Hart Lane as well. If you can name either player, Olivier Giroud. No. Jack Wilshire. No. Rosicky. Yes, Thomas Rosicky scored at White Hart Lane. Andre Arshavin. No. Josh, I think that's the first... When we've done these questions in the past, right, you've sucked absolute fucking balls at them. That's the first Which is one odd, you've got my right. Trivia's normally quite good. Yeah, my trivia is normally quite good. So the 1-0 win at the Emirates, the goal was scored by Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> Jerry's I thought it was a... at the, uh, at how unlikely that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a great game on Sunday. I thought it was a really, really good game of football. Hugo Lloris, Josh, discuss. I can't remember where I've read this, but and I can't remember the whole quote. It was something like, uh, something along the lines of France didn't win the 2018 World Cup. I've missed a bit out. You To win the World Cup, you have to have a good goalie. But despite that, in 2018, France won the World Cup, not because of... Hugo Lloris, it was like, in spite, like, <laughs> yeah, you get you get what I'm saying. And I just think that, you know, maybe Tottenham maybe should get a new goalie. I've, I've heard them linked with Pickford. 
Yeah, I saw that link as well. I think it's interesting yeah. when you when you look at the the goalkeepers that moved over the summer, and you think, should Spurs have gone for a Pope? Do you know what I mean? He improves their side drastically. I just don't see where Spurs are at the moment. I, 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 they're, they're fifth. They won a few games at the start of the season, but they looked in the first half, they were awful, awful. Wayward passing, just no, Son is like a shot. It's the mask on Son. I'm telling you now, he takes that mask off. He's back to 2019 Son, but he's just absolutely diabolical. Did he? <laughs> Shows how much attention I was paying to Son there. The, uh, the commentator made a really good point. He was like, Tottenham are fifth, but they're only fifth because Liverpool and Chelsea are having absolute stinkers of a season. Yeah. yeah. I think the, the biggest thing that I saw um, this week, and they're having a bit of a discussion on, again, just to put it in context, when I'm on nights at work, I, I basically have the radio on all night, so I hear all kinds of different conversations going on and stuff like that. And I think I'm going to pose the question to you two, and I suspect that I will get the same answer as they generally came to conclusion on the radio. How many of Tottenham's players would start for Arsenal? Ten. That is that is where the conversation ended. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kulisevsky? They said he'd be in with a chance, and they said some, but not on his current form. No. They said if you take Arsenal's current side... And Tottenham's current side and the way they are playing, Harry Kane is the only player who gets into Arsenal's team. And it's absolutely right. And on Sunday, Arsenal were a class above. My my I, I said to you boys in the in the group chat those stats about Odegaard and like the man's just unbelievable. Oh, like, to watch him play unbelievable. Their whole their whole unit. I mean, and today they've um agreed a fee for Trossard, haven't they? They've, they're signing yeah. Trossard. Which yeah, I'm really pissed I off about. He, he's the type of player who will, I think he will slip into their system immediately yeah. and I think he'll make a difference to them. Oh, he certainly will. And we will talk about transfers in a little bit. Spurs play Manchester City tonight, kick off at eight o'clock. But Spurs are going into this having won four of the last five against Man City. That's as many defeats that Man City had in the previous 19 meetings between the two clubs. So they've kind of got the upper hand over uh, Man City in recent times. Away from home at the Etihad, I think they're going to find it really tough tonight, Joe. Yeah. I, I hate those stats, Dan. I hate those like, you know, Fulham have only won once at Stamford Bridge in the last 25 years. It's basically 25 different teams, isn't it? Like, you're not going to roll back all those years and go like that. And they say, oh, they've got the hoodoo over them. Uh, I, I think it's bullshit. I don't care how well Tottenham have done uh, X, Y, or Z over the years. Tonight, I think... But, like, there's a phrase that flies around, isn't there? Being spursy. And I think, like, a very spursy thing to do would, as badly as they played in the North London derby, they go to top, they go to uh, City... And they pull something out of the bag, and they suddenly change. I think Spurs' problem is that they've got they've got a misfit from top to bottom. I don't think the whole combination of Levy, Conte, and the players suit each other. 
I don't think the I don't think Conte can get the players how he wants to play, and I don't think Levy is willing to give Conte the players to allow him to play that system. We all know what Levy's like in terms of how he runs the club. He's he's a businessman, isn't he? He really is, and and nothing quite works. And I think Conte had a bit. I know Italy the, the fees aren't as as mad as they are here, um, but he's probably had a lot more control than he's experiencing at Tottenham. One of the things that we never talk about when we talk about players being out of form or managers not being as successful is what happens off the pitch. Now, we talked about that David Moyes interview with uh, on the CEO podcast. I just listened to the Jesse Lingard one. It was out today. And he raised a very good point about when he was at Manchester United and not being able to get in the side and how that affected him. And then he was lined up for a move to Newcastle and they pulled the plug on that. And he just basically was left there to rot in what would you would say were his prime years. So you, you don't know what's happening off the pitch with Antonio Conte recently. He's lost like three of his best mates. I think they, there was the, yeah. the fitness coach. There was uh, Gianluca Vialli. And there was uh, another one, I think, that I, that I read this week that had passed away. So he's having a tough time off the pitch. And I, I feel like that is translating onto the pitch. I, it's one of those things where Spurs, they just look so unmotivated. That that first half was so lacklustre. It was, they were giving the ball away left, right and centre. They just, man for man, couldn't match the intensity of what Arsenal given. It just looks so laboured. They just look so laboured. And I'm not saying change Conte, he's a world-class manager, but what I am saying is that I just think that something needs to happen in that setup, whether that is they get a new director of football, a new coach, what, whatever it is. I think Conte will go, mate, and I think it'll be his decision. I think he'll turn around and say, this just isn't working for me. It doesn't work. I don't understand how it's going to work. Levy's not going to change, and it'll just be a case of I've seen enough and and they're there. I think, mate, if you look at Tottenham in the in the, in the recent past, Mourinho obviously he imparts a certain style of football, but they had they had Nuno, they had Mourinho, they they've got Conte, and no one seems particularly happy. Uh, the managers don't seem particularly happy. The uh, fans don't seem particularly happy with the style of play. It appears that the players aren't overly happy. But the, the, I, mean, I know we've spoken about it recently, mate, as well. The, for Tottenham, for me, for me, for Tottenham is they're just a bit shit. They've got <laughs> they are, like, they are. their their, their defence. If you look at their oh, defence, so they've got funny. yeah, whoever, whoever they choose, um, they've got a World Cup winner in their defence. He slips back in. He must look around and like look look next to him and go, "Fuck me!" Like I'm back playing with Eric Dyer and Ben Davis. Like what's going on? Yeah, you know. And and we talked about. I, I mean, I mentioned it on. I think it was the very first pod that we did of this season about Van Dyke and how he brought players up with him. So yeah. you know, when he plays, Matic plays really well, and he allows Trent and, and Robbo to do all the things that they do. And I think Romero, you know, playing alongside Martinez for Argentina, then he, he comes back to Tottenham. It really wouldn't surprise me if all his confidence and self-confidence is just stripped. Yeah, I, I completely agree, by the way. Um, just for listeners, we've lost Josh. Um, he will 
be joining us again next week, hopefully. But um, yeah, I completely agree, Joe. A team of Tottenham's stature and their Premier League status and where they see themselves and probably where their fans see them, I think they should just be like shopping in a different store. They should be going after the big, big guns and like not settling for Champions League qualification, a good cut run. You know, they should be pushing... Well, that that season, when Leicester won the league, 20, 2015, Tottenham, as good as Leicester were, Tottenham, like, lost the league as, as they much as won anything. It. Yeah. And but do you not like, think... Do you not think those years were... Spurs have, like, consistently been a Europa League fourth-place team, but for two or three years... Do you not think they're yeah. just they just are where they are? I know they've yeah, moved to a bigger that, stadium and they've got players like Kane and Son now, but do you not just think they are where they that, are? If you've got that basis, would you not look and go? Let's just go a little bit more. If you look at look at your club, we'll we'll use them as an example, and we've we've spoken about this previously. What you've done is you're creating levels. A friend of mine who I work with is a Wrexham fan and he's not a new Wrexham fan. Uh, Graham's in his mid fifties. He's been a Wrexham fan his whole life. He's where he's from. And we talked about the fact that what they are doing in terms of a project is they are building teams for divisions. And we're saying if they get promoted out the, out the national league, which they should do this year, next year, they'll have virtually a different squad. Similarly, then that squad will then get them out of league two. But in terms of what they're doing, what might happen at that point is that the manager will go, 16 of you lads, thank you ever so much, but you were just to get us out of that division. We're now playing in a different league, bring it in again. And I think Tottenham and Newcastle now, very similar ilk in terms of you know fan bases and stature and where they want to be. If I was Spurs, I'd go, right, hold on, we've got Conte, who's a serial winner. We've got these incredible stadium that we're selling out why do we want to finish fifth try and qualify for the Champions League why aren't we trying to win the league and I think the biggest downfall for them as a club is that Kane I think Kane will leave this summer yeah I think for if he wants to win trophies he will one of the things that you said there about um them shopping in a different market basically if you're a player now and you're looking and your options are go to Newcastle or go to Spurs it's a no-brainer one team is on the up one team is not I just think that yes I agree they they should be shopping in a better place but we, I was talking to this about uh, I was talking with this about uh, with some friends the other day and we were saying, does Lewis, someone like Lewis Dunk improve that Spurs team? Premier League experience. In terms of where he plays, probably. Yeah. But that just substantiates my point. Lewis Dunk shouldn't be improving that Tottenham team. Yeah. No, but, but what I'm saying is that play, you the Van Dyke thing about Van Dyke taking players up to the next level can be said about 
that as well. Someone like Lewis Dunk comes in, maybe he does then go on to the next level. I'm not saying that he's not, uh, he's like a really solid Premier League player. He does improve that Spurs team, but maybe it's just something about everybody lifting each other up. You know, this is the whole goalkeeper situation. They bring a new goalkeeper in, maybe that elevates the players that are already there. They need someone that's going to come in with experience that's going to help them out. They've got to look in the Premier League, I think, for, for maybe, those players. Maybe that time has come where they sell, they sell a talisman, they sell Kane, and they take that money and say, right, we're going to sign three players who know what they're doing and, and bring them in. Kind of like Liverpool did with Coutinho and... Just just like like you said, players who are going to make a difference immediately and they're going to come in. Look at like an example I would use, just going to my own club again, like Jota. When we signed Jota, like Klopp said he'd been watching him. He said he'd been watching him before he went to Wolves and he said when he went to Wolves, it was actually like, oh great, we're going to get to see him now. We watched him at Wolves in the Championship but when he played in the Premier League, it's like, that guy can come in and just go into our team and he will make a difference to our team. And yeah, maybe Spurs need to do that, but they're, they're in a very strange place because they're not in a in a Chelsea position in terms of like, they're not doing badly by any means. And it, it, it's, uh, yeah, you're right. It kind of sits as into what they want, what they want to do. What do they want to do? What What type of club do they want to be? Well, they want to be challenging for leagues and they want to be like, I mean, but every like club's club. like that. But they have the inf- infrastructure that a lot of clubs don't have. I mean, I went to their stadium last season for the Newcastle game. I, I thought it was spectacular. I mean, for me, not really my... I'm quite a traditionalist when it comes to stadia. Um, I've been to to Wembley and to, and to White Hart Lane, New White Hart Lane to see Newcastle Spurs and it's like a shopping centre. <laughs> uh, no queue for the toilets though, which uh, is never the case as in James's Park. But they, they have that infrastructure around Spurs to to kind of take them up to the le- next level. But there's something holding them back, something fundamental. And I, I think that might be an ownership thing. It might be the people at the top that aren't, um, that aren't doing the right thing, basically. But one club that I just want to touch on this, Joe, and I think it's because uh, it was quite a big result of the weekend, a team that are doing things really well off the pitch and on it are Brighton and Hove Albion. 3-0 win over Liverpool on Saturday. I thought Liverpool were horrendous. Well, Klopp came out, didn't he, and said it was the worst performance of any team that he's ever managed in his whole managerial career, which I think just about sums it up. But give credit to Brighton. What I like about mm-hmm. Brighton is the continuity that they seem to be having. Um, bit of a, a strange example when you, you look at where they are now, but it's like Swansea. Swansea always used to have their, their managers who had a good footballing philosophy and they <clears throat> went on to do good things. They had, obviously, they had Martinez and they had Rodgers and they, they played nice football. And I think what Brighton do is... They are very much a club that is run in the right way and they know what they want to do and they will only let people go if it's right for them. Like Ben White, Arsenal wanted him. They said, yep, 50 million quid, you can have him. Arsenal paid it in the context of the current transfer market and values. It's probably worked out well for, for both clubs, that one. Um, Cucurella, you know, City said we want to sign him and 
they said, yep, yeah, 50 million quid, you can have him. City said now. One of the best pieces of transfer business over the last Fair decade. And Chelsea said, you know what, we will pay it. All right, off you go. Trossard today, you know, they've got the 27 million quid. I know he's out of contract in the summer, but they have got an option to give him another year. I think there was that story that came out at the start of the week about Trossard, wasn't there? About him having a fallout with Deserby and um yeah. I just but, but they didn't they didn't miss him on Saturday. I mean Solly March is in incredible form and uh interesting. But what a goal by Welbeck, by the way. That third goal. What a goal. I mean he played well, mate. And you know, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say, oh, you know, we didn't deserve this, that or the other. We're we're not in a very good place at the moment. Um, to move away from that game to the Wolves replay where we made eight changes and played, I don't know what you class them as nowadays, squad players or second string or whatever. But we brought in eight different players in the game before. And I think the, the one thing that we looked better at, we looked a little bit more resilient. And yeah. I don't know if that was the fact that we, yeah, we brought eight players in who hadn't played in a team that had lost 3-0. Therefore, they've got the motivation, okay, if if I put in a performance, surely I've got to have a chance of being in, in the Premier League team for Chelsea on Saturday lunchtime. There was like oh, that option, like, you know what, if I, if I have a decent game here, I'm going to get a start on, on Saturday. Yeah. Um, I, I thought the goal on Tuesday was, was good, but I thought the keeper should have done better. When I watched it go in, I was like, as, as probably most people were, it's like, whoa, you know, hell of a strike. And then you watch the angle from kind of, it's not quite over Elliot's, uh, sorry, from directly behind, it's more like over his right shoulder. Yeah, and Saar is like very central in that bit too far out. And when you see where the ball actually hits the net, it's like, it's about halfway down and it's not right in the corner either. Um, no, if he put it there but, from a penalty, you would be saying it was perfect keeper's height, wouldn't you? Yeah. It was yeah, like you know that sort of place. Harvey Elliott can't do much wrong in my eyes. I think he's a, I think he's a, a tremendous player. And I think he's one of the ones who, <clears throat> I know he's by no means a, a second stringer, but uh, I think he'll start on Saturday. So it's one of two big games over the weekend, I would say, the two biggest games of the weekend. Liverpool, Chelsea, which way do you see it going? Two teams that are struggling for form? Um, I think we'll win. Yeah, I think we'll win. Yeah. Uh, because we're at home, and I think Chelsea are direct, bereft of confidence, aren't they? Do you think um, Woodruff will play? I think, yeah, we can't. You can't not make. You can't they, not. They need to. Not they really, need him, basically, don't they? Similar to us with 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 Nunes, and you know, I, I like Nunes, and I've, I've said I think he will be very very good. You can't go out and spend eighty five million on a player and not play him. No, that's you can't true. Do it. The other big game over the weekend is Arsenal versus Manchester United. That's on Sunday. That's the late kickoff on Sunday. Man United played last night, drew 1-1 with Crystal Palace. But the big news from that game was that Casemiro got his fifth yellow card of the season. So he's out of the Arsenal game. Which way do you see this going? Uh, for For the record, by the way, I think that Liverpool, Chelsea will be a draw on Saturday. I really do. Arsenal, Man United, it's going to be a tough one, but I think uh, Arsenal at the Emirates, it's going to be, I think Arsenal will win it. Um, I will go so far as to say, mate, that this is probably 
the biggest game of the season so far. Really? Um, yeah. We think of, think about it contextually. We've got Arsenal. Are they seven points clear? Eight, I think now. Eight points clear. Yeah. United are a point behind City. Is that right? They are level on points, but um, level on points. United have played a game more. Okay, so in terms of those two standings, if Arsenal win, they're, they're uncatchable as far as United are concerned. I think mm-hmm. if United win. You've got to consider them in the title race already. You, you can't. If people are talking about City in the title race and they're on the same points, you've got to. But if United beat Arsenal, not only does it like drag Arsenal back that little bit, you don't, people talk about relegation six-pointers. I think this is a title race six-pointer um, just because of what it can do either way. Casemiro missing is going to be huge though. Huge. I, I, I really liked what Ten Hag said after the game yesterday, which was basically we beat them earlier in the season without Casemiro, which I think if you're a Man United player and you're looking at that, because the media are making a big deal out of it, and it is a big deal, he's been absolutely fantastic for them. But if you're a Man United player looking at that, you're going, yeah, we fucking did, and we're in good form. So, Well, they beat them without Casemiro when Casemiro wasn't a Manchester United player. Yeah. So there so therefore in people's psyche, they didn't know what it what meant to miss Casemiro. Whereas, you know, all the football that I've played over the years, in teams that I've played in, where you've had a very significant player, you walk out onto that pitch without that player, you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, I wish we had him out here. So, yeah, I know Ten Hag's trying to put a, a, a positive spin on it, but it's very different not having Casemiro when he's not available, no one's ever played with him, no one knows what he's going to do in that team. And yeah. not have Casemiro when he's been your best player for the last 10 games or whatever. You know, who, who did they bring in? McTominay. I think, he, I, think he just, I think he came on in that game, Casemiro, but um, I think it was probably his first game. It was Anthony's first game, I think. That one, I think he's because he scored. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that as a game. Yeah, it I should be a really good game of football. Really competitive. Really, really competitive. Yeah. I was just going to say the significance of the result for for both teams should mean that it's a, a, a contest in its truest form. That that game should be, it should be a battle. Yeah, it should be a real traditional ding dong. Let's then, hope a know, football and, match breaks out. <laughs> in the, yeah, in, the yeah. in the in the antics that's uh, inevitably going to surround it. Before we look at zero to hero in this final part, we're just going to have a look at the transfers. Now we've mentioned Trossard to Chelsea already, twenty-seven million pounds from Brighton. Um, this comes after Deserby kind of outed Trossard this week, and then Trossard's. PR team put out a statement and it's just been back and forward. It's a good thing for Trossard to be leaving. It's a fantastic move for Arsenal, I think. £27 million is an unbelievable fee. £27 million nowadays, mate, is the half a million quid of a few years ago, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's proverbial peanuts. Um, from Trossard's point of view, obviously what happened before the weekend and then he watches his teammates go out and beat Liverpool 3-0. 
he's going to sit there and he's going to be thinking, ah, shit, that, that hasn't worked out. But <coughs> then for him to go... Uh, one of the things I'm glad about is he hasn't gone to Chelsea. Um, yeah. I think that's that's a good thing for him. Should think... we clip this up for when Todd Bowley finds out that he's going to Arsenal <laughs> Yeah. And puts in a last minute like ninety million pound bid with a ten year contract. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's good. It'll be good for him as a player to play for Arteta with the players that uh, at um, Arsenal. Be quite interesting where he fits in in terms of team stature because he's twenty eight, which is a very very good age for any footballer. But we've talked on more than one occasion about the fact that Arsenal have the youngest squad in the Premier League. So he's going to, he's going to go in there as a senior pro. Yeah. He's got plenty of Premier League experience. He's an established Belgian international and he's going into that club and into that team older than plenty of his teammates. So that'll be quite interesting to see the kind of seniority level that he, that he puts in. Um, But I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a great signing for them. Uh, and I think to get him in January, we, we talked about it last week, didn't we? And we said that if Arsenal have got true ambitions of winning the league, they need to bring in two or three players this window. They're going to elevate them to that league winning status. And I think Trossard is, is number one in that little plan that they've got. He's going to make a significant difference to their team. And he can go again, talk about, we talked about January signings last week. Um, he can go straight in. There's no yeah. messing around. He knows the league. He's fit. He's come back from the world cup. He's ready to go. Yeah, I would agree. And it, it gives them well-needed backup in the forward areas because when you look at their bench, they they really don't have that. Um, a, a team that do have plenty of um, wing options is Chelsea and they're about to buy another winger, former Crystal Palace and Spurs winger, Noni Madueki. I think that's how you say it. Noni Madueki um, from PSV. I don't know much about him. But again, it looks like it's going to be another long contract, high-ish fee. I think it's around £40 million. I might be making that up. Yeah, I'd like him to succeed um, because I like the route that he's taken, um, similar to Sancho, similar to Bellingham. Um, I know, you know, to step away from the English system and go and have a bit of time abroad to then come back. Um they're flaunting these long contracts for FFP reasons, aren't they? So that yeah. if they come to sell them in X amount of years, they can say, well, they had X time. So it's all about writing off money, isn't it? And stuff yeah. like that. Um, I don't know enough about him to, to comment on his footballing ability. Um, he's obviously good, but yeah, another winger when they're yeah. crying out for a goal scoring striker. Yeah. 40 million euros. It is 29 million pounds. I've just had a look there. Um, the other Biggish move that's our Premier League move that's happening this week is Chris Wood from Newcastle United to Nottingham Forest. And uh, from what I've seen, it's an initial loan, and then depending on how he does, it's gonna be a option to buy. I think a very good deal for Newcastle. Um, although it leaves us quite short up front, which makes me think that maybe some things in the pipeline. Obviously, Bruno got injured at the weekend, so they've they'll have a fairly decent one in, one out, and vice versa, one out, one in kind of policy. I, I would think. Uh, either, he, mm, difference being made is you've got Isaac who's just come back to, to fitness and he's back in the team. So, has, has he looking going 
Wilson, Isaac, because you don't play two up front really, do you? Yeah. No, but the worry is that Wilson is quite injury prone and Isaac's just been out for three months. So I get it. My my, um, my opinion on it is, so Bruno obviously got a little bit injured at the weekend. It's looking better than first feared. I think we'll go in for a central midfielder. I think uh, Ruben Neves or someone of that ilk, that kind of like, you think you'll bring someone in from another Premier League? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that, I think in January, mate, that's that's the way to go. Like we just yeah. said about Trossard, and you know, if you like recite, I know we keep talking about it, but it was such a good signing when we signed Van Dyke. You can go straight in. You know what's going on. I was going to say, interesting to say you'll think you'll sign another midfielder because we, we talked about this um, last week as well. And the fact that you're basically you're starting three right now is Bruno, Willock and Longstaff. Is that correct? Yeah. Which, interestingly, you're just like, wow, that's that's like not particularly good in terms of like eyes looking in from from externally. You know, you go, there's a club here. We've got Champions League ambitions and. They've got Joe Willock and, and Sean Longstaff starting in midfield, um, as well as they're playing. So I, I think, I think you're quite right. I think you'll go, and I think you'll sign. You know, Neves being a good example, an established, experienced centre midfielder. Interesting that you say that about Longstaff and Willock because Longstaff best player on the weekend against Fulham and Willock probably had his best game in a Newcastle shirt against Leicester only last week so I think that and also the way that Willock and Joe Linton play together on that left hand side is so important to this Eddie Howe system like they they swap over so much Willock's playing as a winger which kind of again brings me on to my second point that I think if Wood goes then we'll bring in a winger that can play up top Musa Diaby's been linked again I'm not psyched about well I mean we've been being linked with Chris's favourite player Ruben Loftus Cheek this week. I don't think he's gonna go Hakim Ziyech is one that's been linked quite heavily. I think okay. he would be quite a good signing for us. I don't think Chelsea would let him go. Ziyech. They've got plenty of wingers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're right they have. But difference being mate like just to talk about Loftus Cheek for a second. He's a good player. And I think put him in the right scenario, he'll be all right. And uh, this is going to sound completely bats. Everton spending forty million on Rubus Loft and Sheikers would be a bad signing. Newcastle spending forty million on him were probably a really good signing, um, just because of where he could play in that team. And that's and the sort of content in. that people come to this podcast for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> completely contradicting yourself in one sentence. <laughs> No, I, I think I, Conor Gallagher is the other one from Chelsea that we've been linked with. For me, he's just another Harry Winks. I think he's absolutely shit. Do you? Because I, I spoke about Conor Gallagher this week and I was saying I wouldn't mind Liverpool signing him. I think he's shit, man. Um, I think he's absolutely shit. I think he, he, he's he got legs. I, I don't know what else he does on the pitch. He had a, a good few games for or a good half season at Palace and he's kind of living off that. I don't think he's done anything for Chelsea. I don't think he offers anything in the midfield. I just think he's absolute shite. 
I'm not saying that, you know, Joe Linton was shit before Eddie Howe came in and now he's one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the world. Mm-hmm. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, yes, yeah. mate. Yes, Should- in the world, mate. With fourth, <laughs> the fourth, mate. I think we're, we're in for an interesting... I think because of the way the league is shaping up this year, if you look at Arsenal pushing for the title... City with their unrivaled wealth, you boys looking to establish a Champions League place, plus you've got money to spend. Chelsea with the takeover, with the position they're in. Liverpool with how badly we're currently playing and the general overhaul that is is needed in terms of especially the midfield. Um, Tottenham... Yeah, we've spoken about them before. I think when you, you've got a lot of clubs now and 12 days left of this transfer window, 12 days odd, I think these last 12 days are going to be really quite interesting. Um, and I think we could we could see some big activity, um, almost unusual of the January transfer window. I agree. I with really it. do. I agree. So let's move on to our final thing for this week, and that is zero to hero. Joey, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna let you go first this week for your hero nomination, please. Uh, I'm thought about my hero yet, so I'll go with I'll go with zero first. <laughs> and zero has got to be the VAR team for Old Trafford. Yeah, absolutely no question because it was an absolute stinker of a decision, and it's one of the m- most. Uh, sorry, one of the biggest kind of across the board where everyone has gone, well, what the hell was going on there? Yeah, I totally agree. I'm going to keep mine at Old Trafford and I'm going to nominate Eric Ten Hag. Uh, Man United were 1-0 up last night and he still kept Casemiro on the pitch. And he got the yellow card and now he's out of the weekend. I just think it's it was a silly decision. I just don't think he should have started the game never mind being on the pitch in the 80th minute to give away that um to give away that free kick could have been red as well the game the gate that's game management isn't it and you know thinking about and and i know you you do take each game as it comes and that's a classic cliche but yeah we're one nil up with your main man knowing he's a booking away from missing a big old game at the weekend yeah maybe just Haul him and see what happens. Yeah. And so my hero for this week, I've got an honourable mention, Joe. Shall I do my honourable mention before before yeah, I do, do my thing? So my honourable yeah. mention is Southampton's Twitter team. Okay. So uh, they, yeah. For the they, as a review. Yeah. They did a trip advisor yeah. review of the hotel after Everton fans set off fireworks outside of it. It was absolutely fantastic. If you haven't seen that, and um, we'll put it on our Instagram stories. That absolutely brilliant uh, tweet. But mine goes this week to Sebastian Haller, who yeah. returned from um, treatment for cancer this week and scored a hat-trick in 10 minutes for Dortmund, which I just think is absolutely fantastic. So Seb Haller, you are my hero for this week in every way possible. Yeah, good, good shout that. I think whoever I choose uh, won't rival 
won't rival that to to come back and and do that is yeah it's it's great great testament to him as a as a man and to his psychological ability as much as his uh, physical ability I think anyone who's who's been as ill as he has and and done that to step up and still have that belief in yourself to to do it is is incredible um my hero is going to be and I think Sebastian Haller should deservedly win uh my hero, Adidas kit designers. I know Josh had a bit of homage to uh, Adidas last week. Um, they've teamed up with Italy um, and released home and away kits, and they're just absolutely banging. If anyone doesn't know, uh, my other little sideline, as well as my full-time job and being a father and doing this podcast, is uh, dealing in football shirts, and they are what we would deem as a future classic and absolutely beautiful. So the uh, the new Adidas Italy home and away kits are my hero. Yeah, they are fit as hell. Uh, anything else to mention, Joe? Yeah, thoroughly looking forward to uh, a good weekend of football. Uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed this week, mate, with games on every night again and loads to watch and loads to see. And uh, as soon as we finish here, if bedtime goes as it's planned, I might even sneak um, a, bit of the, uh, a bit of the Man City Tottenham game. Well, let's hope you get Lauren down properly. <laughs> um, thank you very much for listening. Um, and please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at JaffPod. And we will see you next week.